Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's a bit of a turn up for the books, isn't it? It was the return uh, of Prime Minister's questions today and the big question had been, uh, will the Prime Minister actually return? Turns out he's got a pretty good excuse for not turning up because he's just become a new father. A spokesman for the Prime Minister and his partner said both mother and baby are doing very well after the birth in a London hospital on Wednesday morning. The spokeswoman said the Prime Minister and Ms Simmons are thrilled to announce the birth of a healthy baby boy at a London hospital earlier this morning. Both mother and baby are doing very well. The PM and Ms Simmons would like to thank the fantastic NHS maternity team. Well, funnily enough... We were going to talk about Boris Johnson this morning anyway because he did return to work on Monday. Uh, He did make a statement outside of Downing Street. He wasn't going to be doing Prime Minister's questions today, clearly because of the news uh, that the baby might have been coming at any moment and he might not have to run out of the chamber uh, on the basis that he got the call. Uh, Where we have all been, or some of us have anyway, I certainly have been there four times, but uh, what a delightful thing for for him to have to be able to celebrate today. Uh, We can send our congratulations from Talk Radio. Uh, Congratulations to Boris. Congratulations to the NHS. Congratulations carry as well and it's just a fantastic time however uh, we've got lots of other things to talk about as well rachel sylvester joins us from the times she wrote a very interesting piece yesterday about boris the man boris the leader uh, boris the politician boris uh, the, the guy who almost died from coronavirus and how that's affecting the way that he now leads the country this is another turn up for the books and i'm sure rachel uh, will be able to take that on board as well we'll talk to her very shortly 0344 499 we also uh, will be asking when uh, the return of uh, the lockdown conversation is going to happen because clearly the government has now slightly moved the goalposts and made it slightly easier for them to pass the five rules uh, of uh, the coronavirus lockdown being lifted. We'll come into that later on. We'll talk about British Airways as well. We'll be talking to Ben Habib later on about what we should be reopening. Should we be opening hotels, restaurants, fast food joints, schools, all of the above? We shall see. And coming up on homeschooling today, we're going to be learning all about chocolate, believe it or not. Plus, uh, we're going to be joined by Tapao star Carol Decker, who's got a new single coming out. You heard it here first. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Let's say a very good morning to Times political columnist Rachel Sylvester. What a time uh, to be coming on the radio, Rachel. Goodness, yeah, and what a rollercoaster ride for Boris Johnson. So he's gone from the intensive care unit, and then today a new healthy baby boy born, we're hearing. And um, everyone was speculating about whether he was going to be well enough to do Prime Minister's questions. And, of course, now he's not going to. He's going to spend time with his new 
family. Yes, well, a pr- what an extraordinary thing. I know. What an incredible year he's had. I mean, it's quite remarkable. I, I mean, I, I feel very happy for him. Um, I think that's a natural thing. I mean, I'm a father. I don't know whether you're a mother, but you know, it's always a happy event. Um, and you know, no doubt there yeah, will be. Yeah, it's not the... a time to be churlish, is it? It but, really um, isn't. I'm sure there will yeah. be some people out there who uh, perhaps hang around in places like the Guardian that will have things to say, which <laughs> might be a bit churlish. But we're not going to go there. Uh, you wrote a great piece yesterday about Boris the man and how you kind of perceive him to have changed slightly since his experience in the intensive care unit. Yeah, I think what's really fascinating is whether this will be the moment when he can go from a sort of populist rabble-riser into a genuine statesman. And Mm. he is now trying to... He's talking about the importance of unifying the country, trying to build consensus around the nations and between parties. So he was quite a divisive figure. And I talked to one cabinet minister at the weekend who said to me they thought he changed having been through, you know, to hell and back really um, with coronavirus and that he'd become more serious and also developed this emotional connection to the NHS, which actually now presumably will be even stronger. Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? In the official statement, they're already thanking the fantastic NHS maternity team in their words. So there's clearly a massive bond now between the Boris Johnson that we now know, Carrie Simmons and the NHS. Well, and I think that was always a sort of political positioning bond, if you like. So Boris Johnson knew that the NHS was is incredibly popular. It's the closest thing the British people have to a religion, as someone once said. And everyone loves the NHS. Everyone experiences it, whether it's through the birth of a child or the death of someone they love or just going to the doctor with an illness. Um, but this has given him a very personal connection, I think. And that's, uh, that does... If you've been right at the very edge of um, life and you've, the doctors and nurses have saved your life, then I think that really does change the way you feel about it as well as the way you see it. It's not just a you know political branding question now. It's a real psychological bond. Yes, and I think because there are still quite a lot of people in this country who are not really taking this whole dreadful situation as seriously perhaps as, as, as they might do, um, you know, those who say it's time to lift the lockdown, you know, we can't have a situation where the economy, the economy is damaged and the damage from that is worse than the actual virus itself because he will be sitting there saying, well, hang on, I know exactly how bad this uh, the mm. disease is and, and so it's bound to have an effect on his decision-making. Yeah, and he's always been the great gambler at Westminster. He's one of the sort of, in a way, reckless or at least risk-taking politicians. Mm. Um, both, you know, and, and now I think, I just wonder whether he'll have been developed to realise the importance of caution and that sometimes you can't take risks with people's lives um, and when you've been right at, at, to the brink it makes you sort of question those risk-taking decisions maybe a little bit uh, and I think uh, certainly the ministers I've been talking to who've spoken to Boris Johnson say he's more nervous now about rushing to unlock everything um Mm. and i think to begin with remember he made all those jokes about coronavirus it was he was going to call the ventilator search operation last gasp and things like that Mm. it was all he's going around boasting that he'd shaken everybody's hand at the hospital uh, and we'll send this coronavirus packing but the tone of his statement since he's come out of hospital i don't know if you agree but there's been a sort of more serious tone uh, and a more, you know, sort of looking, looking straight down the camera, recognising the 
um, gravity of this situation and that it's on his shoulders as a leader. In the end, you, this isn't something that's, there's no right answer to this. It's not something that the cabinet is definitely going to agree on. Some people will lean one way, some people lean the other way. And in the end, it's the responsibility as the prime ministers to decide how to make these incredibly difficult judgment calls. Yes, of course. And I mean, as far as the, um, the way that that will happen is concerned, I mean, you also made the point that Dominic Raab was a kind of, you know, very un-Boris-like replacement. So in a way that was better for Boris mm. because when he comes mm. back you, you sort of see the contrast. I actually thought um, that Dominic Raab wasn't doing a bad mm. job. He was very sort of... He was sort of quiet and got on with it, wasn't he? But he And he didn't try and step up to be Prime Ministerial in any way, shape or form. No. And remember, he had ambitions to be leader only a few months ago and he was talked of as a potential... Uh, successor to Theresa May, mm. but that he didn't come across like that at all, did he? When he when he did step in, he wasn't didn't sort of be flaunting his ambition in any way. And it is quite interesting how the a crisis like this reveals people's the strength and the true character of yes. politicians. So someone like I think Rishi Sunak has come across as a really credible, mm. um, quite serious figure in a way that uh, he hadn't had the chance to show before. I think Matt um, Hancock's Matt, done rather well, well too, I, don't you? I do. I, he's been criticised by quite a lot of people, but I think he's had a sort of energy and determination. He's gripped the thing as soon as it was decided this was serious. You know, he managed to get all those hospitals built in, I think the first one was in nine days or yeah, something. Yeah, that's but, right. Um, and we were all saying a gasp when China managed to build a hospital so quickly. But actually, they did it. Uh, the NHS did it here, and that was partly because I think Hancock banged heads together and said, "Right, we've just got to get on with this." Um, I think you can criticise the government perhaps for not taking it seriously enough right at the beginning of the year and perhaps dragging their feet a little bit, hoping it wasn't going to be as bad as it has ended up being. Yes, I mean, I think um, I imagine listening to some voices in the Tory party, that might have also been due to the fact that, that, that there was a lot of resistance to any kind of economic shutdown because yeah. already now we're hearing from, from certain people in the uh, uh, 1922 committee for a start saying that, you know, it's time we lifted this economic uh, lockdown because otherwise the damage will be worse. So there's there's always been, I think, that issue within the cabinet hasn't there yes exactly and that, but then actually what all the things the government has done have been incredibly unconservative so there's billions of pounds worth of bailouts effectively nationalizing you know millions of workers yeah. uh, paying salaries on, for those on furlough 80 percent of salaries um that's the other thing i think is quite interesting about whether boris johnson has changed in his politics because of his experience because when he was a columnist it was all you know health and safety gone mad mm. and yes. anti the nanny state now he's praising the nhs as the beating heart of Britain and he's pouring uh, squillions into not just health but into economic support mm. in a way that I don't think he would have believed in in the past as sort of traditional Tory. No, and certainly his libertarian sort of um, nuances seem to have been all kind of planed off the set, the sides of him, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Although I thought there was one really interesting thing when he came out of hospital and he praised the nurses. It was Luis from Portugal and Jenny from New Zealand who'd looked after him. And he made a point of making clear and saying that they were from other countries. Yeah. And he's always been instinctively quite liberal on immigration. But the government uh, since that he's led since he got in and the immigration rules that they published a few uh, last month, I think, or the month before, have been, were quite tough. 
Um, so I just wonder whether there'll be a change on that. For mm. example, care workers were excluded from the NHS visa. Uh, and that now seems a bit foolish. Yes, um, I mean, the whole care worker and the care home sector is has been a problem. I and mean, I've been talking about this for, for quite a few months, even before all this happened, that, you know, we, yeah. we, 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 we've, we've been sort of leading up to a massive problem with care homes and the way that they've been run over the past few years anyway, because the idea that yeah. somehow you save up uh, all of your money, all of your life, and you have a house that you can pass on to your children, but then you have to give it back to the government to pay for your yeah. care seems yeah. bonkers to me. And, and the whole sector, I think, needs an, o an overhaul. Yeah, and what's particularly unfair is if you get dementia or yeah. Alzheimer's and you have to go into a home, you could be there for 10, 20 years. You can spend hundreds and thousands and millions of pounds on your care, whereas somebody else who gets cancer, for example, has all that treatment paid for by the NHS. Yes. Um, so there's a real unfairness in the system. And I, if anything comes out of this, I really hope that the government finally grips that and deals with that unfairness. And it does mean us all paying a bit more, I think, probably, for social care so that nobody ends up having to pay everything. Yes, and I think people would accept that, absolutely. One yeah, final thought, Rachel. Um, I mean, Boris, he's got enough on his plate. He's now going to be having the old sleepless nights, which I can yeah. remember very well from quite a few years ago. But uh, you somehow managed to kind of wander through it zombie-like. But, it, you know, it's not going to be easy to be Prime Minister uh, when the baby's waking you up at four in the morning. No, and also, I, I can't... He can't be fully... Fit. You know, if you've been that sick, it must take several weeks mm. or even months to recover fully. I mean, I thought he looked uh, very well on Monday, will we say? Well, I, I agree, but I just, you know, he's going to be getting tired, isn't he, yeah. anyway? Oh, I would have thought um, so. He's not yeah. much. He's not much younger than me, so I mean, you know, he's really, um, he's really going to be sort of uh, burning the candle at not just both ends, but every end and the middle as well. Yeah, exactly. But there is what he has got a sort of energy and an optimism, and also an ability to away with words that makes him, in a way, uniquely well-suited to this role now because the country, it does need cheering up, it does need bringing together, but it also needs somebody who can explain why these difficult decisions are being made and also not just offer everyone the easy answers. There are some difficult things that are going to need to be done. We're not going to be able to go back to normal straight away. Um, and he does have the potentially the talent to do that if he, you know, has the bravery to rise above the day to day. Yes, absolutely right. Rachel, thank you so much for talking to us. Rachel Sylvester, political columnist at The Times, with her take on uh, Boris Johnson and how uh, he has changed as a man uh, and as a leader since the, 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 uh, the hospitalisation that he had to have for uh, the coronavirus and the ICU unit that he was in for three days, where at one point he said it was 50-50, uh, whether he actually survived it or not. Today we learn uh, that he's a new father. And, of course, uh, he's already got four other children. He's got the fifth one now with Carrie Simmons. And, of course, that will mean that uh, they're very happy, a very happy couple, but they will be very tired. Let's talk to Charlotte Ivers, our political correspondent, uh, to find out precisely what will happen next. Charlotte, very good uh, morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, I mean, let the bells ring out, I suppose, is the message. There's a few lefties uh, making some ridiculous comments on uh, on social media. We'll get to them later. Uh, some people asking me, will Boris Johnson take two weeks uh, paternity leave? I suspect he probably won't. 
Well, he did say that he was going to, gosh, uh, it must be a few months now when this had first been announced, or not even that long, to be honest. Mm. Um, but yes, I imagine probably not at this time, although he won't be doing Prime Minister's Question Time at midday today. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Dominic Raab is going to be taking that one for right. him. Yes, and it looks now as though uh, uh, Carrie Simmons uh, conceived the baby sort of more like July uh, and managed to keep a sort of pretty good secret of it all. I mean, it's not the un it's not that unusual for, for people in the public eye to do this to say that they're, they're, they're pregnant, but the, the birth date is sort of further in the future than, than it actually is. No, that's very true. And the, there has been a rumour of this pregnancy in Westminster for a very, very long time. It almost sort of became a running joke that a different journalist every day would decide that they definitely knew that this was happening. But clearly the couple decided that they wanted to keep it private for as long as possible coming mm. up to the due date. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. But I mean, this probably took most people, even including you guys in the lobby by surprise today, didn't it? Absolutely. Well, over the weekend and indeed over the last couple of days, we'd all been asking, is the Prime Minister going to do Prime Minister's Question Time? And basically didn't get an answer. And up until about two hours ago, people from the Labour Party were saying to me, we still don't know whether Keir Starmer will be facing Boris Johnson or Dominic Raab. And that was very odd. And retrospectively, of course, this, this makes a huge amount of sense, but I don't think anyone saw it coming. No, quite. And, and I mean, it, it, is it possible that he could take time off? Because, I mean, surely this is the moment at which the government really has to get to grips with the lockdown decision. Uh, and they've already said that next week possibly is going to be a key week in terms of um, making some kind of uh, easing of the lockdown. So I can't imagine that he could really take time off, could he? No, I think that would be very, very difficult for him, potentially a couple of days. But certainly when he came back to work on Monday, the, all that you were hearing from those around him, from other people in the cabinet, even from backbench MPs, was that he brought a new energy back in and that everyone suddenly felt like there was a direction again. So I think to walk away again two days later, he'd have... A lot of angry mutterings from his own side, probably not in public because they'd look very ungenerous, of course, yeah. but I think behind closed doors, and we know the Parliamentary Conservative Party loves nothing more than muttering behind closed doors about one of their colleagues, there would be a lot of discontent. Yes. I mean, we're told that they're both thrilled, uh, both very happy, the baby's very healthy, so there's, there's there's great news there for everybody. Lots of congratulations coming in from various other members of the Cabinet, Rishi Sunak, Matt Hancock. Uh, they're all saying, uh, well done to Boris and many congratulations to the to the couple what has he been doing since he got back on monday because you know obviously he hasn't shared any of the media briefings we're wondering whether he might do one of those soon i guess we probably won't see that this week but but what's your understanding of, of what he's been doing inside of downing street well so essentially what he was doing before he went into hospital which is taking advice that had been presented to him from various different directions the key meeting he will have had some advice on is the meeting of sage the scientific advisory group yesterday yeah. they actually went through various different options for easing the lockdown and will now have options to present to the prime minister so he can pick which one he thinks is most palatable, it has the best trade-offs within it. So that will be really interesting. The sooner those get in front of the Prime Minister, the sooner we will start to see 
if not an actual easing of the lockdown, certainly ministers actually starting to talk to us about what the lo- easing of the lockdown might look like. Yes, because the key uh, change in, in, in one, of the, uh, uh, one of the rules for the lockdown being softened, which is in the front page of the Telegraph today, is quite an interesting one, isn't it? So that uh, basically not um, having a risk that would, that would engulf or overwhelm the NHS rather than having a risk of any kind. Because in a way, when I saw that the first time, I thought, well, the risk of a second peak is, is pretty difficult to wipe, to, to wipe out all together. So they've now kind of watered that down a bit, haven't they? No, absolutely. And it's a bit of an odd one, because as you say, there is that linguistic change, which I think they were sort of hoping to sneak past us without us noticing (laughs) that it was there. Um, But I think really, to be honest, overall, they've always known that risk of a second peak is there. Always the strategy has been to avoid the NHS being overwhelmed. And under those terms, the government has been incredibly successful on the task they set themselves of not overwhelming the NHS they have been very successful. It's the other things like the PPE, like the economy, like everything that comes around the side, like the death rates in care homes, that there is a bit more of a debate about. But they'll be very happy with the results on the actual NHS capacity front. Absolutely right. Well, Charlotte, we'll be joining you later on for Prime Minister's questions, presumably in the company of Dominic Raab and Keir Starmer. So we'll see you at midday. Charlotte Ivers there, our political correspondent, uh, checking in with us on the news that Boris Johnson and Carrie Simmons uh, have had a baby boy, a healthy baby boy, born at a London hospital. Uh, They're thanking the NHS. They're thanking the maternity staff. Uh, Everybody's very happy about it, apart from one or two uh, lefties who seem to be uh, content to put out very strange messages. It's all very odd. But this is Talk Radio. We are live streaming... uh, on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter, of course. We'll be talking about Boris Johnson's baby, uh, maybe some names uh, for the baby boy as well. Uh, it's all coming up on Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now, just for a little surprise, we thought, why not get Carol Decker on the phone? Because while all this coronavirus talk is going on and this pandemic talk is going on, and now we've got Boris Johnson's baby, we've got lots of news to talk about, we've got testing to be done. How about let's talk about the pop music business and Carol Decker from Tapau and a new single. Carol, very good morning to you. Morning, Michael. How are you? Well, I've actually got pink eyes. Have you? Yeah. Have you been looking through the keyhole? Yeah, I have been spying on my neighbours. <laughs> to do. Um, no, you know all the pollen that was flying around mm. last week with that gorgeous weather. Well, um, my eyes just turned into red hot coals. And oh I God! Antibiotic drops. Oh well, that's well. Hopefully, you can get those because I mean, some people have said it's not that easy to find stuff like that because of uh, everybody sort of bulk buying everything. But hopefully, you'll be able to get them. It has to be given to you by the chemist. So um, I went. I got in the queue. And uh, sort of tried to show the pharmacist my eye from two metres away. (laughs) (laughs) And then he picked some drops off the shelf and threw them at me. Right. Well, listen, this is what we have to think about doing now. Let's talk, though, because we've got a great deal of time. Now, bizarrely, we can't play this for you, only because because of the rules on YouTube. They won't let us play the music. Um, So even though you could give us permission to play it, we can't play it. But I've watched the video that you've made, which is fantastic. It's of you kind of dancing around your lovely garden, surrounded by all manner of uh, animals, including Finn, your dog, who looks spectacular. Tell us about about how you did it. Okay, well, um, new single, everybody, it's called Be Wonderful, and it's um, pre-order, um, all the downloads on uh, the 1st, and then it gets released on the 8th of May on all the usual platforms, it's called Be Wonderful. So we had to do a lockdown video, we'd managed to record and master the song before all this kicked off, and we wanted a video, and so 
conveniently, both of my children, Scarlett, who's 21, and Dylan, who's 17, they've done a BTEC in creative media production. So they know how to storyboard, film, edit, and we've got all the, the software and the cameras. And so we, we made, I put them to work, family business. Very good. And um, we used household props. We used the chickens. We used the duck. We used the dog. <laughs> Uh, we use a lot of. Uh, it's very. We, we went. We went for a funny angle, which I hope. You know, I hope you appreciated. When I you did. It. No, I thought it was great. Yeah. But also, it was just a kind of. I mean, at the moment, almost anything is a, is a happy and 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 very welcome change from what we're watching on TV. So you know, it's it's very nice to be able to watch something. What I was hoping you could do is maybe put something out on Twitter, which I can then retweet. Then people can actually see it and hear it a little bit. Um, we're doing a snippet today. We're doing an edit of the video today because we had some minor adjustments to do. And then we'll put a snippet up on YouTube Friday. All the, the downloads will go up and there'll be a snippet up there. Yes. And then the full thing will be out on YouTube very shortly. So, And, of course, you know, if you... If you go on my Twitter, which is just at Carol Decker, I'm always blathering on about where things are, so you can <laughs> And also, of course, people will think, my goodness me, that song China uh, in my hand 23 years ago, a long <laughs> time ago. But you've, you've not stopped working, really, have you? Um, I hate to tell you, it was probably 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 1987. No, I haven't. Um, I'm, I'm always working. It's frustrating. All my shows have been cancelled this year, like a lot of... Um, entertainers every single one has been taken out of the diary most of them are planning to reschedule for next year keep fingers crossed mm. but sometimes things just it just doesn't happen again you right. know but most of them hopefully will be um we'll see each other on the other side of this and i think the gigs are going to be so poignant when everybody gets back on the road yes. you know well i can imagine there'll be a sort of scene like glastonbury with everybody standing two meters apart from one another they'll have to kind of increase the size of the field by, by, a fa <laughs> by a factor of 10, and you'll just have to have a lot more speakers. I know, I know. The keys to the toilets will be even more <laughs> first of all. It'll be funny. Yeah, no, but I just I can't wait to just get back to normal. I know we're all doing the right thing, and we can only go on what we're told, but I do feel a bit like a, I'm pacing up and down a bit. I just want the world yes. to come back to us. I think, you know? I think we all kind of last weekend realised for the first time it's time for us to try and find a way out of this, you know? Yeah, because um, we've had to be guided by the science and, and stuff, but we've got to have something to come back to. And, it, and some people say, oh, you're picking money over people's health. You're not. No. You know, we, we are the economy. Yeah. We are the politics, the people. And we're the and country we have have, as well. Yeah, and we have to have something to come back to, and we're going to have to take a calculated risk. Now, I've got a text message here from somebody who doesn't give a name. Um, is it true is the question, that China in your hand is about Frankenstein. It, it is about Mary Shelley writing the book is it? Frankenstein. Yeah, it's a story within a story. Okay. That's why the opening lines are, it was a theme she had on a scheme he had. So it's about her, because she was 19 when she mm. wrote the book. Yeah. And it caused a lot of jealousies in her circle. You know, she was, she was married to Lord Shelley and they hung out with Byron and was a whole kind of intellectual clique that lived around the sort of Fitzrovia area. And she basically had this massive Pulp Fiction hit right. at the age of 19. So I was watching a documentary about it, and I found that angle on it really interesting. And then I think, did, did Byron die? There was all sorts of things happened. And, and it sort of, they sort of it as a curse on the group. Mm. 
And so wow. it was a kind of be careful what you wish for parable, which also is the, the, the story of Frankenstein, isn't it? You it know? is. It is. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful book to read, actually. So I didn't know that. Yeah. So now I've learned yeah. something. So that's brilliant. Carol, thank right. you very much indeed. We'll look out for the uh, the, the video clip and we'll, we'll get it going around uh, later on today. And the single's called Be Wonderful. Thanks, Mike. No problem at all, Carol. Take care. Carol Decker, Pink High, uh, and, and of course, uh, looking forward to the release of a new single called Be Wonderful. Uh, it's going to be out uh, on uh, May the 8th, pre-orders from May the 1st. Uh, look out on my Twitter and on her Twitter later on uh, for a, a version of the, uh, the video, which is very, very funny, I have to say. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham and welcome back to homeschooling. So if you haven't done it yet, go and get your children, grab them uh, and bring them gently towards the radio, have them sit around because we've been learning about a great many things this week. We had changing of the guard yesterday. Uh, we learned a little bit about Stonehenge the day before that. Uh, today we're going to learn about chocolate with Jennifer Earle. And Jennifer Earle uh, is the founder of Chocolate Ecstasy Tours, which sounds like rather a good job to me. Jennifer, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Afternoon. Thanks Thank very you. much indeed for joining us. So, um... Tell us about, first of all, Chocolate Ecstasy Tours and what you do. We have uh, fabulous guided tours in London and we visit chocolate shops and ice cream parlours. Wow. But I presume that's not so easy to do right now, though, is it? No, we are on hold at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can just eat the chocolate at the moment. I seem to have acquired an awful lot of chocolate lately because um, uh, we have a little trolley that comes in here and I take a bar of chocolate home with me every night. I've realised I don't eat a bar of chocolate every night, so I've now started to collect about 10 or 15 bars of chocolate in a tin, which I'll probably scoff at some point or other. But I'm a big fan of chocolate, always have been. Um, what's your favourite chocolate? I... Oh, it totally depends on my mood. I'm a big fan of um, dark chocolate. Are you? Yes. Equally. No yeah. I like it all. <laughs> okay. Let's let's start with the, 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 the first question, I suppose. Where does chocolate come from? So uh, chocolate starts life 
as a fruit on a tree. Okay, <laughs> a chocolate very tree. A cocoa tree. And so you find cocoa trees near the equator in countries that are really hot. Yes. And the process of turning the fruit from the cocoa tree is actually the seeds of the fruit into chocolate is um, takes quite a few weeks. Okay. And is that done there or is it sort of shipped somewhere where it's done elsewhere? So it used to be that it, the chocolate was always made in the countries where it's predominantly eaten, so yeah. in Europe and the US and right. other because I've always found it interesting that different types of countries have different types of chocolate. You know, like American chocolate, for me, was never quite as good as British chocolate, um, which was never quite as good as Swiss chocolate, you know, which was never quite as good as German chocolate. And it's all slightly different, isn't it? Yeah, so there's a few reasons that it's different. The main reason that the the difference between the different countries is actually because of the milk. So okay. it's not as obvious when you try dark chocolates from those countries. So right. uh, in the US, they sour their milk before it's mixed in, um, which was an accident to begin with. Really? Because the people who bought it liked that they kept it up. That's right. at least. Um, and then just the same as you have different tasting cheeses, is all about the milk. So what the cows are eating affects the taste of the okay. affects the cheese. It also affects the milk chocolate. Interesting. So can you kind of um, do chocolate tastings, if you like? Yes. Definitely. Uh, so the biggest thing that makes a difference between um, what chocolate tastes like is actually the beans. And so that's the main part of any chocolate, the cocoa beans that come from the fruit right. of the tree. And so that, there's lots of different factors that affect that. So you have different varieties of cocoa fruits. Um, there's different ways that they can be uh, fermented and different ways they can be dried, different ways they can be roasted, and all those things can change. And it's incredible how if you have bar of chocolate that only has cocoa beans and sugar, which a good dark chocolate should, if, if they've come from different makers or the beans have come from different places, they can taste incredibly different. Mm. And when they make chocolate bars, say, for example, which we eat an awful lot of in this country, um, is that considered to be a bit kind of naff, if you like? If you're a chocolate sort of, um, you know, aficionado, would you, would you say something like a Snickers is a little bit kind of down market? I think if you enjoy it and it's making you feel happy <laughs> in the moment and it's not too frequent, then it's fine. However, it doesn't have a lot of actual cocoa in it. So if you were to look at the ingredients, right. it, it wouldn't really satisfy a chocolate craving. It would satisfy a sugar craving, yes. but not so And, of course, one of the things that I found fascinating about chocolate, and particularly in Mexico, is, is where they use it in cooking and they use it in kind of savoury dishes, and they'll put it, say, in chilli. And I've been to... There's a restaurant here in London in Borough Market, which you probably know, uh, Rabot, which does a chocolate kind of menu, chocolate-based menu, but it's regular food. I had... Uh, I think I had some lamb there, and it was served with a sort of a chocolate um, relish, which was quite remarkable. Yeah, I've been a few times. It is... It, it, what's interesting is cocoa actually doesn't have any sugar in it. So, right. although chocolate always has sugar in it, you can buy bars of chocolate that have zero sugar in it. Right. It looks like chocolate and smells like chocolate, but they don't quite taste like it, and they're technically not allowed to be called chocolate. Uh -huh. um, the, um, if you have just that 100%, just the cocoa, it's not sweet. It's just got lots of depth and interesting flavours. There's actually more flavour compounds in cocoa than there is in any other food on the planet. Right. So people talk about wine and all the different flavours they can get from that. Um, or the same with coffee, chocolate has more than both of them. And why is it that they, don't, they you can only grow cocoa um, plants, basically, in, in those parts of the world where they, where they currently grow? Because, like you just mentioned, wine. You know, wine is now produced in, in many, many countries, but cocoa apparently isn't. 
No, so you can grow cocoa in Europe if it's within a greenhouse, but unfortunately um, it will die if it's exposed to cold. The plant won't survive or okay. so it won't bear fruit. But you'd think that there would be parts of the US, for example, that would be hot enough to grow it in or parts of, um, I don't know, Spain? The bits of the US that would be potentially hot enough wouldn't have enough rain, most likely. So uh-huh. uh, you can actually grow it. In, it grows in the north. It grows in Hawaii. Um, and it grows in, which is part of the year, and it grows in the north of Australia where they do have both rain. Oh, okay. And is it, does that taste significantly different or not really? It tastes a little different, but not. Um, a, a, it's still very under-researched mm. um, in, in cocoa compared to other fruits. So there's the jury's still out as to whether the bigger difference is the variety of cocoa beans, like the cocoa seeds that are planted through it. The, okay. the trees are, or whether it's the process from harvesting them to turning into chocolate bar that makes a bigger difference. Okay. And what about the feeling that you get when you eat chocolate? Because we're always told that it makes you feel mm-hmm. good to eat chocolate. So what is that all about? Again, there's a couple of theories. So <laughs> it could be connected to the fact that we're often given chocolate as for special occasions when we're young, which we then associate with happy feelings. Yeah. However, within cocoa, so as well as it being the most flavour complex food, it actually has a greater number of vitamins and minerals than any other food that's mm. found actually on the planet. Okay. Um, so it's hitting um, lots of things our body needs in order to function well, but it also has some psychoactive compounds as well. So things that um, supposedly will affect our serotonin in our brain, which is the what makes us feel happy. Yes. And, I mean, is it even possible, if you can answer this question, to put a figure on how much chocolate is produced every year around That's the world? That's an excellent question that I don't know off the top of my <laughs> head, but it is, um, it is hundreds of millions of kilos at a minimum. Yeah. And does it go <laughs> off? I mean, I, mean I, I've, I, you don't, I don't tend to keep it for that long because I'm too busy eating it, but um, does it go off, chocolate? So milk chocolate will, because, and white chocolate will, because if there's any milk in it at all of any type, even if it's a non-dairy milk, it will go rancid. Um, but dark chocolate, so just cocoa beans and sugar, will last, as long as it's kept well, will last forever. It might not taste delicious, but yeah. it, will, it will still be um, edible. Okay. And you could make it taste delicious by retempering it. All right. And if anybody wants to learn some more, have you got a website people can look at? I do. So I've actually just, because I, as you mentioned, I go into schools and do sessions on chocolate. I've created some worksheets that I thought might be helpful for parents who need a few more activities. And so um, it's some self-study and a, fam- a guide to family tasting session and a quiz as well. So oh, that's, that's good. Yeah, you can find that on my website, which is chocolateextasytours.com. There's a link on the homepage. Brilliant. Okay. Fantastic. Well, Jennifer, thank you very much indeed. It was very uh, educational. Jennifer Earle, founder of the Chocolate Ecstasy Tours, go to her website and you can find some stuff uh, to do there. And I'm sure you won't have any trouble convincing the children to get involved with some chocolate. Maybe you could cook something with chocolate. You could melt some chocolate, put it on a cake. You never know. You make some chocolate biscuits. All manner of things could be done. That was the homeschooling for today. We'll have more coming up tomorrow at 12.30. If there's anything you want us to actually do uh, that your children would like to learn something about, by all means, text me, uh, 87222. You can tweet me as well, of course, at IROMG or at uh, Talk Radio. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Professor John Newton about the new national testing programme, which hopes to test something like 15 more, 15 million more Britons. Uh, we'll be back after this on Talk Radio. 
Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Up, coming up at one o'clock, Ian Collins will be here. I'm delighted to say now that we're going to talk to Professor John Newton, coordinator of the National Testing Programme, also director of the Public Health Improvement for Public Health England. Professor John, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Yo, hello, Mike. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. We're obviously hearing um, some great news on the testing front. Up to 15 million more Britons can get tested uh, for COVID-19 from today. Um, what, what do we hope to learn from, from the increasing number of tests that are going on? Well, yes, we've made great progress in building the testing capacity the country needs to respond to coronavirus. Mm. And we've been gradually opening that out to wider groups. Uh, started with NHS staff, getting them back to work obviously treating patients as well, uh, but also the care sector, we did, uh, we opened it out there. Now, of course, we're opening out to people over 65 who've got symptoms um, and uh, might be at home or uh, their household. So what, we, what that does is to help people uh, to decide on uh, what, what to do in terms of um, self-isolating. If you've got symptoms now and you test positive, you know you've got to be really careful um, of course, the other area, the other group are workers who can't work from home. Yeah. And for them, if you test negative, that means you can go back to work. So this is partly about looking after the most vulnerable people, but also about getting people back to work where we can. Yes. I mean, we've heard an awful lot about how Germany did a lot of testing, a lot of tracing as well in the early stages of this. And that was why their figures were a bit lower than ours. But, but we're now hearing that they're getting a bit of a second peak coming because they may have lifted the lockdown a bit sooner. Um, is the testing that they did specifically something that did help them or was it more about the tracing? Well, I'm, I'm glad you say that because I, I don't think it's at all clear that the amount of testing that they did is the reason that they had better outcomes. No. Many people I've spoken to, including colleagues in Germany, feel that the coronavirus was just different. There was less coronavirus mm. in Germany and they did more testing, which is obviously good. Um, so we don't really know. I suspect... It's a bit of both. Yes. Um, I think the important thing is, as you mentioned now, we've got a really we've got really big capacity similar to that in Germany, which puts us in a good place for the future, for when we start to move into the next phase and we can deliver testing to support uh, contact tracing. Yes. And is this testing that we're talking about now, that we, which we'll be given to over 65, is that something that they do themselves or do they go somewhere to get it done? Well, it can be both. So if people uh, want to test, if they've got symptoms, they log on, go to gov.uk, and then there's a link for people who are over 65 or if you're a worker, and then you've got a number of options. You can either go to a drive-in centre, and we're building, opening more of those all the time, or you can have a test delivered to you at home. And, and what is it actually, I know it might sound a bit stupid, what's the actual procedure? What do you actually have to do? Well, they, I mean, the, the, um, the swabbing is, uh, has to be done carefully, but it's relatively straightforward. There's a video for people who are testing at home. There's a video to show you exactly what to do. It's a swab in the nose and a swab from the throat. Uh, and then it, you put it back into the tube, break the swab off and, and send it off. Mm, OK. And as far as the... Uh, that's, the that's the test to see whether you have it or not, right? So, so if, you if you test negative, yeah. uh, is your recommendation... Um, to continue to test? Is it possible, for example, that you could have a symptom and you could test and then it would say negative? Well, yes, it's, it's the test for the presence of the virus, mm. uh, the swab test for presence of the virus. If it's positive, it's very clear, you've definitely got the virus, you need to be very careful. 
Uh, if it's negative, it's a good guide that you're okay to go back to work and to behave normally. Um, of course, still maintaining the social distancing rules that, everyone, that apply to everybody. Uh, but it's not an absolute guarantee. And occasionally we do recommend that people have a repeat test or uh, if you are going back to work and you might be in contact with people who are very vulnerable, it's worth bearing in mind and discussing it with your occupational health or your employer. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good guide um, to, if you have symptoms, you have a negative test, it's fine to go back to work. Okay, so there's no lag time as such, because we've heard that the, in some testing situations you could have a test which only gives you a sort of a, 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 a sort of a point of time in a nutshell. It doesn't give you all of it. Well, it is, that is true, and no test is perfect, um, and you can be unlucky. You might have a negative test one day and then become positive the next day. So it's a, it's a risk thing. It, if you have a negative test, it greatly reduces the risk that you have coronavirus, but it, it doesn't eliminate it completely. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm afraid the press won't be satisfied with that, will they? They'll be giving you a hard time saying, why is it not perfect? You know, this is the thing that I think a lot of us find very frustrating, that people ask questions about the testing as if it's some kind of, you know, absolute. And it can't be, can it? No, it can't. And in fact, in the laboratory, if the virus is on the swab by the time it gets to the lab, the test is pretty much perfect. Mm. But the problem is getting it on the swab and getting the swab to the lab has, you know, it can go wrong. It's still, it's a very good test. Um, and uh, we all, we're all looking for certainty in the coronavirus, aren't we? And the, the testing does provide people with quite a lot of reassurance, um, but still we have to work yeah. on the basis of risk. Sure. And how are you coming along with the, with the antibody test, the one that says whether or not you actually have had it? Well, this is very exciting. So the things we're doing in the testing programme, we're building capacity, making it accessible to people. We're developing new tests. Um, that's the antibody test, and a number of teams are working on that, collaborations between industry and academics and, uh, 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 and, and other agencies. Um, and uh, there are a number of candidate antibody tests, um, and we're, they're in the testing process at the moment. So we're confident that by the time we need them, we will have good antibody tests. Okay. We also want to make them available to people at home, and there are interesting, innovative ways of doing that, which are in test as well. Yeah. And are they relatively accurate in the sense that they, again, I've been told that there's a sort of 28-day period that they can test for, so that you, if you've had it in the last 28 days, it will tell you, but not if you've had it before that. Well, that's right, Mike, yes. So what you're doing with the antibody test is you're looking at the response that your body makes to the infection. So mm. it takes a little while for that to build up. Um, it, it can be picked up before 28 days, but if you... If you want to be sure that you haven't had it, you need to wait for a while and test. Right. Um, yeah, so it's a good, it's a very useful test to have um, because it will help us understand whether people are at risk of getting infection when they're in when they're a contact to somebody else who's had the infection. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, how soon are you hopeful that that might be available? Well, there are a number of people developing these tests, as I say, and um, they they are optimistic that we'll have tests either towards the end of May or early June, um, which is around the sort of time. I mean, everyone's been saying coronavirus is going to be with us for some time. Mm. So what we really want is a good test that's reliable and that people can work with. Uh, and it does look as if we're going to have that uh, about the sort of time that we need it. Yeah, and I mean, it's been quite remarkable the amount of capacity that you've been able to increase, but really by only just in the past week alone. Well, I think, I think that's right, Mike. I mean, so many people have been involved here, and it's an opportunity to pay tribute to you know, the NHS pathology laboratories, uh, the new 
commercial labs that have been set up by volunteers working with industry, working with our universities. The army have helped us with the mobile units. Um, huge numbers of people working in government on the logistics, you know, securing the supply chains, and indeed the suppliers themselves, you know, the companies who make these tests. It's very much been a, a joint effort, and people have done really, really well. Uh, and the public have been incredibly supportive. So people do. So just about where we are, people who are in this group, you know, people over 65, I would encourage them to log on to gov.uk, get yourself booked in for a test. There are slots available today. If you need a test, we can offer you one. OK, that's brilliant stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Professor John Newton, coordinator of the National Testing Programme, Director of Public Health Improvement for Public Health England. I think that pretty much sums up where we are. There is a great deal of capacity. Now, there are uh, slots that you can book. If you are over 65 and you do have symptoms and you think that you should get one of those tests, by all means, go on uh, the gov.co.uk site and get on it and get a test sorted out. Let's talk to Peter, uh, who's in Berkshire. Hello, Peter. Ah, good afternoon, Mike. Good afternoon. Great to talk to you. Very nice to talk to you. What can I do for you? Uh, Mike, I, I, I'm getting terribly frustrated with the distortion of statistics mm. that we, uh, we see, and particularly from the, uh, uh, the uh, um, BBC. Mm. Um, they've published uh, something today about 100 um, uh, care workers uh, that had died. Yes. And... Uh, I started questioning the figures, and I'll try and keep it simple, but mm. my calculations are that of the 23,000 deaths, thereabouts, in the population of 65 million mm. in the country, represents about 0.035%. Okay. If you look at the number of deaths, say around about 100, it might be just over 100, on a, popula a, a, a working population of... 450,000 doctors, nurses and midwives, it actually works out at 0.022%. In other words, almost half of the death rate in the population. Yes. Now, since I spoke to you, uh, sorry, since I, I, I put the call in, mm. I've actually found a, a learned report from a company called HSJ. And what they've, they've done a lot more detailed analysis than I have. And they have found that of the patient-facing NHS workers, um, they represent about 1% of the population of the country. Right. The deaths amongst those are 0.5%, which comes to the same figure as I arrived at, right. about half a percent. And one of the points in their report was that actually the number of those who were in serious uh, facing, you know, anaesthetists and the people in intensive care, the figures were quite, quite low indeed. Mm. And, and so I must emphasize I am not having... The, the HNNHS are doing a brilliant job. Um, and we, uh, but the figures aren't nearly as much as the scaremongering seems to be suggesting they are actually quite good and mm. of course those figures don't take into account where they got the the report says they uh, they can't account for that every one of the nhs workers 
caught the virus. No. Uh, While they were actually at work. No, I get that. Listen, Peter, it's a great call. I've got to cut it short, I'm afraid, because we're running late. But thank you for that call. Yeah, I think the trouble is, with all the statistics in this entire shebang, uh, they're all coming from different places. Some things are included, other things aren't included. Other countries do it differently. You know, the comparison game is a dangerous one to play. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.